You're listening to EVH and Gear TV, brought to you by Design39 Media. Visit design39media.com for all your website, photography, and video production needs. Microphones for EVH and Gear TV are provided by Rode Microphones. An official Van Halen merchandise is provided by vanhalenstore.com. And now, here's your host from Ontario, Canada, EVH artist Eric Broadbent. We're back with a familiar face that's had spent, I think, probably at least a year now. Steve Stevens, how are you, man? I'm great. Good to see you. Good to be back. It's very nice to have you back. It's been a while. I think it's been a year and a half at least, but it's, you know what? It's good to have you back, and lots of things have happened since then. So it gives right. us lots of things to catch up on. So it's very nice to yeah, have you back. Great. Yeah. Is, is it cold up there right now? Actually, no. It's actually, you know what it's like? Uh, the last time I went to Nam, uh, 2017, yeah. it was like yeah. the weather, it was cold for you guys down that way, but yeah. it's nicer than what we have now. Um, right. Or nicer than what we normally have. But right now, it's about, uh, I don't know, it's like, I don't do uh, the metric system very well. It's 11 degrees or something like that. So probably in the 50s. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But right. we have had snow already too. So it's coming, it comes and goes, right? Right. Yeah. And that's All why right. a lot of us get sick up here too, because you go out in a t shirt one day and then you have to put on a parka the next day. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of like that here as well. You'll get one day where it's, you know, I mean, for us, if it's down in the, you know, the 50s or the, the upper 40s, it's really cold. And we've had a couple of those. And then the next day, it'll be, you know, 78 degrees. So that's nuts. Yeah, <laughs> that's I know that's I get you got to have a good immune system to be able to flip flop back and forth with that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyways, we've got lots to talk about tonight as we get through, you know, through the program a little bit later on. We'll talk about some of these new things that's happening. We'll have a look back at, uh, uh, you know, 2018. You guys can kind of reflect on that. But also want to extend a thank you to Josie too, uh, your better half for helping facilitate this and getting us all connected and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So hats off to her, too. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Man, she's she's a trooper, man. She does so much. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's we're we're a team, you know, uh, we're known as a team. We oh, travel yeah. together and she comes out and does, you know, all the uh, meet and greets and and uh, wardrobe and every whatever whatever the job calls for on any given day with Billy Idol, but you know, we wouldn't have it any other way. It's it's uh, you know, makes makes you know, life on the road is, you know, you're only playing for two hours or, you know, with a soundtrack and meet and greet. It's all, you know, three hours out of your day. And mm-hmm. The rest the rest of that day, if you know, it can get pretty, pretty monotonous or, you know, uh, if you choose, you know, just look at four walls in a hotel or something. And she's great because she'll arrange stuff for the band and dinners and, uh, you know, uh, what are we going to do? You know, where are we going to go and stuff? So it's, it's, uh, I actually get to see the world with her. That's nice. That's what I was going to say. Cause I get, I see a lot, you yeah. share a lot on social media, like different sites you get to go see and things yeah. like that because you have family there with you. It's, that's awesome. Instead of having to make late night phone calls and all that kind of stuff. And can't wait to see yeah. you. You know, she's here with you all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. She never gets sick of watching the show. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, that's good. We're playing the same set tonight, babe. All right. You know, she's still, nope, never she gets still tired. digs watching us. So. That's fantastic. I get the same thing here too. Working with family. It's nice. You know, no one has your back better than family, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's take a look back over in a moment here. I'm going to try to get my chat open. I don't even have the chat open, and we are getting some reports that the buffering is bad. I do think it's on YouTube's end, so we're going to have okay. to try and uh, weather through that. But uh, okay. looking back at 2018, how has it been for you overall? We won't talk about the new announcements yet, but uh, Billy's, you've been busy with Billy, um, all kinds of stuff, guitars going crazy with Nags guitars and things like that. So how has it been overall looking back for you, do you think? Um, 
Yeah, a great mixture of, um, you know, we we uh, we we uh, had our Vegas residency happening. That was the third year that we had done it. Um, but as well as that, you know, we got to go to Europe. We toured Europe, did a bunch of festivals, and um, and then we uh, we did an you know an American tour, uh, and uh, and then resumed, finished out our uh, Vegas residency. Got to play uh, the uh, the resident uh, resurrected um, California Jam Festival here in. Uh, in, in California that, uh, Dave Grohl put together. And that was, that was really great. He had, you know, rather than it just being another Foo Fighters mega show, <clears throat> he did some really cool things. Like he brought the, you know, uh, Chris from, from, uh, uh, Nirvana up with him as right, well as yeah. Joan Jett fronting it. So it was like great to actually be there. I mean, it's, you know, cool that we got to play and all, and we've done a lot of shows with Foo Fighters now, but, um, it was a really great experience to kind of, you know, uh, see these kind of lineups that were only there for that one day. And as a kid growing up and watching, you know, Emerson, Lake and Palmer on California jam, you know, it was like such a great idea to bring that back and, um, great vibe. And, um, uh, you know, so that's kind of, uh, one of the things we finished out the year with. And obviously we, we introduced a new, um, uh, model guitar with nags. So this is actually the third i believe we came out with the the uh first steve stevens model and then the steve stevens classic and then this which is based on their severn which is kind of more a uh, uh, strat scale i love that uh, guitar but still a, you know still a uh, glue on neck um so there's not a huge jump between a you know say a, a single cut player <clears throat> you know having to adapt to a different scale and then also different tonally. So, um, so it was kind of, you know, it was like the kind of one instrument that I was in need of in my arsenal, you know, okay, if I, you know, cause you, you got to kind of, when you, tr when you start traveling a lot and going over to Europe and stuff, uh, these days you're very aware of weight of guitars. And if you can, you know, get instruments and gear, in the country that you're going to be, it saves you a lot in shipping and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I'm just being selfish with the nags because I'm like just designing guitars that I need and making them available to me all around the world. And, uh, but you know, I mean, I have, uh, you know, let's see, you know, 40 years experience of playing guitar, you know, playing different models and different, <clears throat> uh, different brands and, you know, and, uh, and, and, uh, and I finally found a company that's really open to my, suggestions as well as they present stuff to me that I never would have thought of. And, uh, it's a really, there's a really good two way communication between us. Well, you and Peter go way back, don't you? Um, well, Peter, yeah, was the first guy. I had a great experience with him. I was a Hamer endorser. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Most people know. <clears throat> and then in, um, in 84, I went to the music Mesa in Frankfurt and this is like the height of rebel yell. And, you know, I was kind of, uh, uh, you know, greeted as a, you know, a traveling dignitary, but the music Mesa that year was incredible experience. I got a call. Well, actually Peter said when I arrived, he said, hey, I'm Peter Wolf and you know, I'm your liaison here. He said, there's a jam happening and they would like you to come jam. And I was a little jet lag. Oh, jam. I don't know. You know? And he said, well, it's, it's John Entwistle and, uh, <laughs> and Zach Starkey, who was really a kid by, you know, 
then uh, playing drums, you know, Ringo's kid, yep. uh, who's now in The Who. Um, so how are you going to turn that down? Of course. I got to play, uh, you know, one of the songs we always did with Billy Idol was Shaken All Over, which The Who, you know, it's a Johnny Kidd and the Pirates classic, but The Who always did the penultimate version to me. And when I met Entwistle at Soundcheck, I said, I'd love to do, you know, Shaken All Over. So we did that that night and uh, incredible experience. And then I got to meet the guys in Def Leppard and uh, and um, uh, Rudolf Schenker, not Rudolf, uh, 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 yeah, Rudolf Schenker. And uh, and all, all these musicians that were just, it was really fun because it's kind of like a NAMM show, but it's open to the public. Right. So the the Phil and and then Steve Clark was still alive. You know, mm-hmm. I'd hear them, you know, a couple of booths over playing Rebel Yell. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so I was like having to learn, you know, <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I would go over. OK, show me a riff from one of the Def Leppard songs. It really confused the hell out of people. <laughs> That's crazy. But it, but it was a great experience. And that was the first time I met Peter. So. Um, and, uh, you know, he was always really cool and really honest with me and, uh, and we kind of always stayed in touch and, you know, when, then he approached me, um, about Nags, I had only seen a photograph of a Nags guitar and, and I wasn't that familiar. He sent me a couple of instruments and it was kind of an organic, um, you know, uh, development, you know, I said, well, I really like these guitars, but this is what I would, if I had my own model guitar, this is what I would do. And, um, you know, we, uh, we kind of mapped it out and there was never a time with that company where they ever said, well, we can't do that. And, you know, and, uh, which was just amazing. I mean, they were very hesitant. I wanted a steeper <clears throat> headstock angle on the guitar. Mm-hmm. And as you we know, back. you know, yeah, you yeah. pay, I mean, like a, like a Les Paul, sure. there's a certain string tension that's inherent when you have the shorter scale like mm-hmm. Les Paul, if you don't have that that pronounced break angle over the over the nut into the tuning machines, <clears throat> to me the guitar doesn't feel quite right. Okay. And but you pay a price for that in that if the guitar drops, you're going to get a headstock break. Or as everyone knows with Les Pauls, that's sure. if there's ever going to be a break on a Les Paul, that's it. <clears throat> and they were very hesitant about doing that because they hadn't done it before. And I said, look, you know, I know I'm, I'm well aware, you know, of those problems. I said, but, you know, if people buy a, a premium guitar, a high-end guitar, I mean, you got to know that, you you know, you, you got to watch over it. Don't leave it in a place where it's going to fall, you know. Leaning against a wall. Uh, or- and, and I said, it's just such an important aspect of a guitar that I'm going to put my name on it. I just, I, I need that that string tension to be, what I've grown up with since 17 when I got my first Les Paul. And so, um, so even when they were hesitant about things like that, they, they, they went, okay, you know, I, we get it, we get it. And they did one prototype. <clears throat> uh, and I said, make one for yourselves at the, at the shop to Joe Nags. said, make one with that headstock angle and you play it and then pick up one without that headstock angle and, 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 Tell me I'm not right. You right. Know? And there, you know, he called me and said, yep, there's a big difference. So, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it is the guitar that I've always wanted, you know, that's the most comfortable. I mean, it's great that other people like it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, what, you know, when, when people invest in a guitar, I'm always honored when somebody, you know, uh, sends me a message that they've bought one and they saved for it or, I mean, I'm honored by that, and I, uh, 
you know, I try and have a personal relationship with everyone that buys one of my model guitars. I will answer their questions and um, because it's it's a big deal to me, you know. For sure. Well, yeah, it's not like it's like a $300 overseas guitar. You know, someone's really making a financial uh, commitment to that guitar. You know, and it's Absolutely. nice to have a little bit of a relationship. And I actually noticed something on your website today, too, on your store. I've got a link in the description down for that as well, too. But people can actually buy signed um, backplates from you as well for that guitar. Yeah, yeah, we offer a signed backplate. And sometimes I always tell people that <clears throat> uh, concerning that guitar, if you're willing to wait, deal directly with, with Nags. Call them up and, you know, because there are a lot of options available for that guitar. There's different pickups or if they want to know – my guitars are all loaded with different pickups. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, there's other options available, you know, get, get exactly the guitar of your dreams. Uh, Cause I believe these are guitars that'll, you know, be in people's families for a lifetime and get handed down to kids and things, uh, like that. I, I agree. And you know, so it's really funny when my first introduction to nags, um, I know the history of the, of the company, I know the history of Joe. And when I first saw the guitars, the headstock is what always threw me for a loop. And I just couldn't gravitate towards the headstock at first. And I know that's one of the hardest things as a guitar manufacturer. You know, you can't have the typical S type that's licensed by Fender. You know, yeah. I mean, even, even Eddie Van Halen has to license the, the headstock, you know, <laughs> with EVH gear. Um, right. It just happens that way. And you can't have the banana, you know, because Gibson Kramer owns that, blah, blah, blah. Right. So it, it's tough. And so sometimes you got guys coming out with like crazy trapezoid looking things or or, yeah. you know but now yeah. that I've seen them so many times especially I think once you see it in the hands of players like yourself um, and the Rappaports and, and everybody else out there using them I, I think it you just you're like okay this is this is something it means something it means something yeah. to Joe obviously uh, you know that's something that's personal to him I, I now I've gravitated towards it and I like it but something I saw this was really funny I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit how I discovered this but uh, Josie had sent me a few pictures for of you for the promo for the show, and she sent me a couple awesome photos of you with the guitar. And, I, and what did I use? I used one of you holding the ray gun. But looking closely at the guitar, at the headstock, I could see, or at the nut, I didn't realize on your model, and maybe it's the same on some some of the other ones with Floyd's, the uh, nut is that, or the locking nut is behind the nut. Is that something of your choice, or is that something that they do? So oh, phys they physically have a nut that, and yeah. a... I think that was, a, is it a leopard guitar? Yep, yep. Right, yeah. That was an experiment that we did with a, uh, that's a Floyd FRX system. Okay. Because uh, before, this is about a, well over a year before I did the Severn, which has a, a traditional Floyd, a Godo licensed mm -hmm. Floyd. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I thought, well, let's see if I can, you know, retrofit the Floyd onto the, uh, the existing SSC single cutaway model. Okay. And um, so I didn't want to hack up the guitar if it didn't work out. Uh, so we had the, the FRX system fitted to that guitar, and that's that, that locking piece actually is part of the truss rod cover. Oh, okay, that explains it. Because I couldn't yeah. actually see your trim because you had your hand over it, so that makes 100% total sense. I'm familiar with that tremolo now. Because right. and it's got kind of like the little V, uh, like a V thing at the bottom of the Floyd, so it's a f uh, flush right. mount Floyd Rose or surface mount, yeah. so you can stick it on a Les that's Paul right. or whatever. Yeah. It didn't work out for me particularly um, on that guitar, so we pulled the, the tremolo... I believe we pulled the tremolo off of it and put a standard tail tailpiece on it or something, which is what I was. That's why I didn't want to go in and you know do the whole Floyd thing on it. Yeah. But now that I have the the uh, the Severn, um, that guitar, I think with a Floyd, you know, there's some guys who are able to to work a Floyd into a 
you know, uh, uh, Gibson scale. Mm -hmm. But uh, for me, that Fender scale and Floyd is what I'm really used to. Certainly. You know, there's, yeah. a, there's a few rare breeds out there like Alex Lifeson from Rush. You know, he does it a lot now. I mean, obviously, he's not touring with Rush anymore, but he, he's one of the examples I use that does it very, very well. Um, one of your buddies and one of my mutual friends, Mark Day from over at Fractal, that guy, right. he can rock a Floyd on a, on a Gibson Candy. Yeah, there's a there's a young guy named Sammy Bowler who uh, plays uh, who endorses uh, Friedman amplifier. Okay. Yeah, incredible guitar player. So I did some um, some clinics with him, Detroit and Chicago, and he's got a Les Paul fitted with a Floyd, and and he smokes on that, and it's he's you know it's just he's used to it. He knows how to keep it in tune, and it works for him. Um, but uh, for me, I think the, the the way to go has always been this, the yeah, you know, longer scale with the Floyd. Well, that's the thing too. I've seen over the years, you know, using like some of your old promo photos, you were rocking a really cool black Gibson Les Paul. So you want the Les Paul style guitar? You're going to use like that, or now, of course, your signature Nags with uh, with a hardtail. You want the Floyd? You go to the Severn, you know, and very right. similar back in the day with like your your Hamers. Were they Kaler back in the day, or was it a Floyd type guitar? I forget. I was a Floyd. Oh, it was a Floyd. Okay. Floyd. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Did you have Kalers at all in any of your guitars? What did you think of those? I did on one guitar. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> Didn't of, work I know I wasn't a real fan of it either. And it's really funny. I'll share a really funny story with you. There's a company that I work with, uh, Dava Picks. I'm not sure if you've ever heard them. They're pretty cool. They make a cool guitar pick and right. um, been with them since like around 2000. And so I'm having right. this conversation one day with Dave Story. He's the owner of Dava Picks. I think he's down in New Mexico or somewhere in that area down there. But we're, I, I embarrassed myself. You never know who you're talking to because we got talking about tremolos. And I said, oh, don't even get me started on this uh, on this uh, Kaler that the worst, yeah. you know, the worst thing ever invented and he goes, oh, did you know that I'm the co-founder of that? <laughs> and and uh, I had to backpedal a little bit. And I was like, oh, like, how do you get out of this one, right? And because, uh, you know, I'm the di I am the like to dive bomb. And on the Kalers, you, do, you really can do that. It was more almost, I don't want to use the word Bigsby, but right. a softer bend, right? Right, very soft and, and good for subtle. Yeah. Um, but we weren't subtle in the 80s. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the way I, I look at that, I would kind of compare it to maybe a little bit today. Uh, PRS has a nice tremolo on their guitars, uh, uh -huh. the floating Fender style, you know, tremolo. And it's like that. You can actually use it, you know, like a, a like a, a flutter. Not, no, I shouldn't say a flutter. That's not the right term, but a nice mm -hmm. vibrato with it. Right. right. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Let's um, let's jump over and say hi to a bunch of people. Hopefully they're still hanging on with us here. I think we're, their internet issue is workable anyways, for sure. Got a okay. bunch of people. Uh, let me see here. Uh, Jason Waite is here. Damon Doherty. Uh, Todd, a.k.a. Soda Pop. Let me see here. Alan Hollers, Scott Ruse, Richard Henry. He's over in uh, 2 a.m. over Northern Ireland. He heard you're coming on the show, and he could not. He has to stay up, so he's having some coffee. Big fan uh -huh. of yours. <laughs> Daryl McMillan. Uh, let me see. Quentin James is here. Uh, let's scroll down a little bit further here, and I apologize if I miss anyone. Um, Alan Haller, Amber Gray is here. Thanks for tuning in. Ron Bain, hello from Elliott Lake, Ontario. Another fellow Canadian. Very, very nice. Okay. Nice. Joe B, Techn yeah, technical difficulties we are having a little bit. Um, if the live stream seems to be a little laggy, just go back after it's done. It should catch itself back up. I do believe it's on YouTube's end. Um, okay, here we go. And I think I know the answer to this, and I'll let you answer it. Sean Close is saying, um, ask Steve if he's using his signature bare knuckle pickups. Yes. Um, the... Um the SSC NAGS, which is the single cut, uh, utilizes a, a it's very, it's pretty much indistinguishable from, uh, from my bare knuckle signature pickup, which is the, the Rebel Yell. Um, but the Rebel Yell was tested before I had a NAGS uh, endorsement. And that pickup was, we went through about 
eight different versions of that pickup on the road and I was playing it with Les Pauls. And um, so <clears throat> I was asking for more kind of upper mids, uh, 400, 500K to give it a kind of like a, you know, an, an older style JB or something or, you know, just give it a little bit of a honk to it, you mm -hmm. know. And when I, um, when I landed on the final version of that, it definitely had a resonant peak of, you know, uh, upper mids, you know, higher mids, I would say, not upper, but higher mids. Um, and I loaded that, that pickup initially into the, the Nag Steve Stevens, and I realized I didn't need that peak anymore with this guitar because the guitar had a resonant, I guess, you know, a handmade instrument is gonna, it rings very true. Whatever pickup you, you put in that guitar, the way that pickup is intended to sound is gonna sound true in that guitar. If you put a patent applied for style pickup, no matter what it is, uh, it's gonna be very open and not, not uh, no resonant peaks in it like a patent applied for. So I revisited, I just, basically it's a, it's a Rebel Yale pickup without, without that slight little, um, bit of resonant peak in it, but it's so subtle. I mean, you could put a, you could put a Rebel Yell pickup in that guitar and just go to your mid control on your amp and just turn it one little notch and it would sound exactly the same. So, um, that was the only, the only difference on the new Severn. I designed a totally new pickup because string scale, different body style, different neck, uh, profile, different headstock, all changed everything. Um, and I wanted the pickup that's in the, the SSC is not a ter terribly high gain pickup. It's like a patent applied for. Okay. Um, <clears throat> kind of very open, so you can still get those Zeppelin, Angus Young tones out of it. You know, uh, it you know, sounds great with an overdrive, but it is intended to be a big, open-sounding guitar, um, classic rock guitar. <clears throat> the Severn is a is a hot rod guitar, much in the way that some of my '80s guitars are. So Shredder. we redesigned the pickup. Uh, it's much hotter. Uh, it's much thumpier. Uh, it's mounted directly into the body as well. So there's a lot of chug factor to it. It's a modern modern guitar. You know, it's a it's more of a metal guitar. I'm not ashamed to say. <laughs> Whereas, uh, you know, the uh, my existing model is like classic rock guitar. Yeah. Something I'm struggling with to learn about when it comes to pickups, like I've been a high gain guy all my, my entire life. And obviously you would know like with uh, Eddie Van Halen's style and with his Wolfgangs and things like that, they're a hot pickup, like extremely hot pickups. Right. But a couple of guests I've talked to in the past, well, I actually talked to one guest who told me about another, um, you know, giant in the industry, but talking to Mark Kendall, he was on the show from Great White. And, and I wouldn't have known this, but, you know, l like learning his style and listening to his music growing up as a kid and teen he doesn't use high gain pickups. In fact, his pickups are like extremely low gain. He says he wants the, whether it be a distortion pedal or the amplifier to do the work. And he was talking about Billy Gibbons. I know you've right. probably crossed paths with him many times. And he says Billy Gibbons is even worse when it comes to, he like less, less, less gain. Yeah. Share in your mind, what, mindset what that does for the guitar and the amplifier by going the opposite route that you and I and a lot of guys would do. Um, uh, less gain on the pickup allows more of the tonality of the guitar. Okay. That's the way I look at it. Um, the higher gain pickups, and certainly when you get into EMGs and things like that, which I have 
guitar. I have a couple of guitars loaded with EMGs, which I which I love as well. Mm-hmm. But they're specific to that overdriven, in your face, n- brutal, <laughs> nothing subtle uh, thing about it. And you 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 could, to me, you could load an EMG in in any guitar. It's, gonna sound it's same still going to like pulverize the amp. You know, at least the ones that I have used. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it, 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 it really depends what you as a player hear in your head and who your influences are. Everybody, you know, still has a blueprint in their head of, oh, I want to sound like the first time I heard, let's say, Van Halen 1 or Queen, you know. And and that's just something that's in our on our guitar playing DNA. And, and sometimes, you know, those kind of sounds require a low gain pickup or a high gain pickup you know obviously jimmy page used low low gain pickups um i think one of the interesting things though is i have about three of those early uh evh music man guitars yeah and although those pickups the demarzio and then i'm quite high gain if you look at how far away that pickup is from the strings Mm -hmm. it compensates for the high gain of the pickup that's right. Uh, so, so it's it ends up being not such a high gain pickup, but a very. Uh, I love the sound of those guitars. I think they they they're really and now with the access, I, you know, I still always when I'm going into a session, I bring one with me. Um, I, I I think they really hit on a great guitar. But yeah, the pickups are kind of low from the strings. They are. It's almost like having a great gain microphone, but I mean, you're back six feet from it. It's not necessarily a high gain microphone anymore, is it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I had a guy on the show the other day on my other show, on the Helix Hour show I do. You'd, you'd probably get, uh, appreciate this being that you'd like the music man, Richie Castellano uh, from Blue Oyster Cult. And, okay. And he, uh, it's funny because he has a whole bunch. He's a, he's a music man, uh, Ernie Ball endorser. And so mm-hmm. as soon as I see a bunch of Van Halen guitars hanging on the wall, I automatically think the guy is uh, a Van Halen fan, guy or girl. In his case, uh, he's got a few of them up there. He's got the Axis. He's got a couple of music mans. I said, so I just want to ask you a question. Did, did Eddie Van Halen, you know, get you into those guitars? And it was a really funny story. He's, he shared the story with me. He says, no, it's the other way around. You know, his dad, his dad's a player. And right. R- Richie's younger than me. He's probably in his late 30s, um, okay. maybe early 40s. And his dad uh, was a guitar player, always had guitars around, and own, owns a music store. And he was telling us this funny story that every guitar was fair game, even if it was his own dad's guitars. You know, someone right. says, I want a 60 or a 72 Les Paul. Okay, I got one at home. I'll bring it in for you. So yeah. long story short. Um, Richie's playing his dad's Les Paul forever and he, and he goes to a band practice one day he goes to grab it off the stand and says dad where's my guitar and he goes what do you mean my guitar that's my guitar son and I sold it a customer wanted it so he's yeah. in trauma now what am I going to do because this is my guitar and he he liked that short scale all that kind right. of stuff he goes well look I think you might like something like this right and so they're looking around this was Music Man just coming out with uh, the uh, Eddie Van Halen at the time and they're calling right. around local shops no one had one found one over here at this other shop they go over there they try it he fell in love with this guitar and because of that guitar, he discovered Van Halen. So it was a really neat flip oh. f- compared to what we usually see. You yeah. know, we go buy our you know artist guitars. You know what always amazed me about that guitar, though, is the, uh, you know, the, the, the necks are tiny on that yep. guitar. Yep, And Ed's got huge hands. I know. <laughs> he does. Like, um, I know Steve Luke, Steve Luke and I have, have smaller hands. We're, we've always gone, yeah, we have to work harder, you know? And we'd like point at Ed and be like, yeah, he's got it easy. But it always amazed me that, he, that, that a guy who really doesn't need to, you know, uh, a, a smaller neck would choose to have that small. I mean, it's even small for me. Yep. 
Yeah, I know. I think what it is with him too. Like, it's so funny too. You see photos of him sometime. Uh, somebody posted a photo on Facebook the other day. He was uh, he's using. Um, this is probably about eight years ago. He's taking a picture with a camera, and you see his fingers. And like, I mean, I've shook I've shook the man's hand before, and I never even really noticed it then. But when you see him holding something, it's like alien appendages on his fingers. You yeah. know, and those stretches he would do back in the day. I mean, still does. You know, it's just like you you do that, and you give you almost give yourself carpal tunnel. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it literally, literally hurts. But yeah. some some of the guitars are even smaller. Like you probably haven't tried the Indonesian series of the. Um, I've got a couple of those here as well too. That's the the, the Wolfgang made overseas, okay. and it, no, it's even smaller. You feel like you're holding. It's like I, I like kind of like the old Kramers, like a broomstick. Yeah. It's like you're holding a yeah. broomstick. <laughs> but if you think of it too, you know, Eddie would always do that thing like, uh, um, you know, not, not just by Eddie, but Jimi Hendrix, all those guys using the thumb as a capo yep. almost, you yeah. know, and that's cool to see these. Sometimes you can't do that on a big, wide, fat profile neck. Right. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So that was a very good uh, answer for Sean Close there, both uh, the bare knuckles pickups. Uh, Quentin James is saying Eric's having issues with internet. By the way, I heard Quentin James is going to be a grandpa. He's got a little uh, girl on the way. Uh, so that's congratulations, Quentin. He's one of our regulars. So I wanted to, uh, okay, to say that. You. And uh, Jack is saying, uh, please ask about Deadland Ritual. We will talk on that. We'll just kind of dance around that a little bit tonight because we don't want to burst any bubbles or there's some uh, you know uh, protocol we have to follow with that. So we'll dance lightly on that one. Uh, let me see here. Alan Haller. Uh, let me see here. Let's see if there's anything else I missed. The question I wanted to ask you as well, too, because I don't even... It's funny. People say... Oh, if you're in Canada, do you know the Joneses? They live over here. And I kind of think that way about you people in the States. Okay, you're in California, so everything is around you and surrounds you. But um, I had Michael Charvel on the show a while back, um, probably about a month about a month back, we were talking about the, uh, the campfire that kind of consumed a lot of, took a lot of people, took a lot of businesses and homes and things like that. And obviously, yeah. uh, Wayne Guitars. Were were you guys in the in the vicinity of the fires at all? Were you safe? No, no, we're not. Although <clears throat> that was so gnarly that fire that the uh, the day after. I mean, I'm f pretty far away from it. I'm more Hollywood area, but okay. there was soot and covering our cars and stuff in it. You know, and that fire was out in you know in the Malibu area and. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I have friends of mine that were sending me photographs of, fire, you know, you know, flames right up in their backyard, and uh, and there's people that lost their houses. The one that really, really uh, broke my heart was the, um, oh, oh, what's his name? He's a jazz guitar player. Lost his house. Um, Lee Rittenauer. Oh, lost no his way. House. Yeah. And he posted photos, and uh, he, he, you could tell that, you know, he his, his whole, you know, um, it just really broke my heart because he's not, you know, like a, you know, a Kardashian or somebody, you know, somebody who's a journeyman guitar player like all of us. And yeah. Beautiful house that, you know, he probably put everything into in the studio, and you know, and it was. I just hope he can rebuild and come back from that. And and I know Mike Garson, the famous piano player from the David Bowie years, also works with Nine Inch Nails. And mm -hmm. He lost his house, and he's a, he's another, you know, working. These are working musicians who are you know having to pay bills, and you know, and uh, you know, not mega millionaires. There's a lot of people that really got hurt by this this fire so that's that's the thing and michael shared uh, such a horrendous story he was telling me um, i'm not sure if you read some of the interviews with him but you know when the fires were coming through the hills and the mountains there or the forest wherever they where they're at they were actually in paradise or wherever that area is in oh, that vicinity okay. yeah. but my 
Michael was saying, you know, the fire embers are coming down. They're actually touching his house. And he's like, okay, I know we're going to have to get out of here. And his first thought was to um, get the car. And this is where something we, we all, a lot of us take for granted. You know, like I run my car on a quarter of a tank of gas a lot of times. You know, and you got to make a, a retreat. You should have that car full of gas. Well, he couldn't Gosh. get the car out. So he's going to, he decides to get on a bike. And um, as he's riding his bike, like a mountain bike, whatever, he's riding out to the roadway. And the roadways were all blocked off. And he saw about five or six people that were from his street where the yeah. fire came in so quick, they didn't even get out of their cars. They were engulfed in their cars. Oh, my God. Isn't yeah. that horrific? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm, that's the thing, too. Like, you're talking about Lee Rittner. Like, I mean, and any guitar player of, you know, of that caliber and in, in the history and the things that they've seen, you know, people think, okay, well, you got insurance and that's all good. But, you know, first of all, they, he escaped with his life. So, okay, that's that's awesome. Um, and, you know, didn't lose any family members that we know of or anything like that and some of these other people, too. But these guitars, like, I mean, some of your guitars, too, some of the things you look at a guitar that you may have had that's been with you for your life, and you're like, this guitar has seen more than a lot of people ever see in life. You yeah. know, parts of the yeah. world. And yeah. guitars take on that history and that vibe and that mojo, and you just can't go buy another one and replace it. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot for a lot of musicians that, you know, a lot of musicians in California have home studios. And the thing that, that I'm always struck with is the the the, uh, the recording tapes and things like that. You know, Lee's from a, an era where everything was on, you know, analog. You know, you can't replace that, that stuff. I know. You know, it's... Uh, uh, heartbreaking do a lot of guys okay like I, I don't i don't do any recording other than just little things here at home but someone like yourself who is an engineer and, and whatnot and is deeply involved in the scene is today a, a time where we put stuff on the cloud a lot now for safety measures do you guys um, i mean you it may you know this, this fire makes you think twice because i back up everything onto another drive right but if a fire comes it's gone <laughs> that other drive is um I know I know recording studios do back everything up to to a cloud situation or a raid system or something, but um, I don't have something like that here. Right, so. yeah, it's it's one of those things you never think it's going to happen to you, and, and that's, that's <laughs> I know I know. It, and we're bad for it here in Canada as well, too. My better half here, uh, Nocturnal Butterfly, Sandra, she's always like, we need a survival kit. We need a survival kit. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. You know, and then we get, we don't usually get tornadoes up here, but we had a, a series of about four warnings come through. And then you're like, mm -hmm. okay, what do we do? You know what I mean? Okay, grab our iPhones and go. That's all we got for survival. No water, yeah. no matches or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's best to be prepared. Um, I'm going to say I had a couple more people here and then we're going to come back and I think you're going to maybe possibly do a little bit of playing for us tonight. Is that cool? Yeah. I mean, if people get oh, uh, yeah. questions or we, yeah, we, I'll, I'll have a look if there's any questions. <laughs> it's kind of funny on my other show I do the Helix Hour. It's all a line six base show. Yeah. I, I started a thing accidentally where guests would come on and they would all give us one of their celebrity patches off their Helix and we could have, you know, we could play like on, you know, uh, Jeff Schroeder from Smashing Pumpkins. We could play on his rig or we could play on Chris from Blackstone Cherry's rig. And so that was right. cool. Fans loved it. And then Paul Gilbert come on the show here about a month or two back. And then after Paul was uh, uh, Steve Lynch from Autograph and they're teaching us how to play and stuff. I'm like, uh oh, I got myself in another corner where I'm going to have to ask my guests to do that all the time. And I thought, <laughs> if, you know, you'd be gracious enough. We'll try that, too. Yeah, sure. OK, sure. let me just see where we left off and I'll see if I can find it here. Uh, Brad Mill is here. Uh, Les Bellin, Gary Holt is here. DJ Asterix, uh, J.D. Gonzalez, uh, Ricky Mees, Carlos Santin, my Canadian brother, says, love your playing and approach to guitar. Definitely, definitely uh, an inspiration to so many, so many people. And and I, I love talking to you about this before last time you were here as well, too. We kind of touched base on how you've been so successful over the years. And you're one of those guys um, who 
does it, even though he could easily be in the in the spotlight as the, the guitar solo guy, you know, and the and the shredder. Um, I think that's why Billy has loved you for so long because you work and make everyone else in the band a better musician as well too, including yourself. But I think that's nice. I think a lot of people can take maybe some notes from you. Um, you know, some of the I don't want to say the Ingve Malm scenes. I don't want to diss Ingve Malmstein, but you know, some of the people out there that could kind of take some lessons and work to make your other mates better, and they'll make you better too. Yeah, I think that's an, you know, it's possibly an age thing because when I got my first electric guitar, uh, would have been, uh, 1972, okay. 13. And, um, and we didn't have solo guitar players out there. We had bands right? and, um, and it was when you bought a record or you loved your favorite ba- group or went to their concert, it really was about watching the interplay and, and you didn't just go, uh, you know, when I went to see Yes for the first time, um, the thing that struck me was how how well constructed their parts were to work with each other. You know, they were very orchestral in their approach. And I always felt that Zeppelin was another band like that or The Who. You know, I can't even name you uh, uh, Pete Townsend guitar solos. Right. But but everybody knows the who songs and they're, you know, I mean, so I think that's, you know, that's just what I was brought up on. And, and, um, you know, I've done instrumental records and, and, uh, and it was actually really difficult for me because I, I, I was so used to writing something to accompany someone else. And I think as a, as a young kid, you know, even when I'd see, um, you know, I remember seeing uh, footage on TV of, uh, you know, Elvis Presley and, you know, uh, my mom would go, oh, he's, you know, isn't he great or whatever? And I was looking at Scotty Moore going, I want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Or when I saw Zeppelin, I wanted to be Paige. Not, you know, I'm just comfortable uh, being that kind of player in the band. I mean, I really, I've played enough shows with en- enough really super famous bands over the years. I mean, we're talking, you know, from 1981 till now and festivals and all of this. And there is nothing more powerful when a band gets on stage and everyone in the, you know, up to 80,000 people knows the song or the riff or, you know, and, and the whole audience does that thing, you know, I've never seen an audience do that for a guitar solo. I'm sorry, but I know. know. And if you have the crazy thing is when I went to South America, if you have memorable guitar solos, the audience will sing it while you play it. And that's like, that's like goosebumps. You know, it's like it happened with Rebel Yell, which is, you know, it's not ter- terribly technical, but the, you can sing it, you know. And and I've always like thought that's that's the real power in being a musician uh, for me, you know. And I respect guys who are, in, you know, technically proficient and, and uh, but it's a, it's a fine line, you know. Give them a little bit of that razzle-dazzle, but also – give them something that they can remember as well. I think that's why we both revere, you know, Eddie Van Halen so well, because, you know, he's, he's such a lyrical player as well as a technical player, as well as a songwriter, Mm -hmm. as well as a rhythm player as well. You know, he is the whole thing. It's not just one aspect of it. And, um, and, and, 
that to me is the the true sign of greatness, you know. I agree. And here's what I tell a lot of people too, and I, I sometimes use the term kids when I say kids on guitar, but anybody that's under 20 years old, anybody that's under 25 years old is considered a kid to me at my age. But, yeah. you know, I say like you're an example. When people try to learn your riffs, I learn try to learn your riffs. And okay, I can focus on the leads a little bit. I know you're over here and doing this, whatever. And then I try to do the rhythm and it's like, okay, now I'm embarrassed because, I, and Eddie Van Halen too. It's like these, yeah. these kids can nail these solo seven ways from Sunday, you know, and then, okay, now let's try to do the rhythm. And I've yeah. even done it where I'm like, I listen back and my timing is horrible. And it's like, oh my God, it's way harder than you think. Yeah. And the, and the rhythm is the stuff that when I'm on stage, at least when I'm locked in on a rhythm and the, and it's groovy with the with the drummer and the bass player uh that's just this feeling that you you, you this energy yeah that you you become strong you become greater than this the sum is greater than the parts and you just get a shit-eating grin and you're like you know i mean i love soloing and everything like that but uh but you don't get that that feeling it's it's kind of it's it's a totally different different thing, you know. Yeah. So uh, so I, you know, I've always been a band guy. I've always wanted to be in in bands, and you know, and uh, and 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 um, and create stuff as a unit, you know. That's fantastic, and I know what you mean by that. I've used the term here before. When when everything is going just right, you know, even if you're in that rhythm pocket, and you don't even want to venture over to the lead territory. I describe that as, you know, you've got a car that will go 100 uh, miles per hour on a good day. That's its throttle. It's capped at 100. won't go any faster than that no matter what. But one day, maybe you're going downhill. you got the wind behind you. The temperature's right, and you're doing 120. That car's not right. supposed to do that, but it is. And that's the same thing that happens to you as a musician when all the planets are aligned, the, they're yeah. connected to the audience, and you're doing that 120 where you're like, how can I be doing this? I can't go that fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just fit right in there. And we'll talk yeah. about energy too in a moment. We'll talk. We'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about Deadland and how that come about. But why don't we sure. put the camera over on you? You grab something that's comfortable there, and you can take us through any riffs, any tricks, and tips, whatever you want to show us. I know the the uh, audience will love it. Okay, let's see what they they request. Okay, let's <laughs> see go, if they have a. Let's go with yeah. let's go with comments. Because I mean, here. the stuff like Rebel Yell. I mean, it's available online. I've done I've done uh, you know uh, little demos of of how that how to play that and stuff. They can probably find that elsewhere. Yep, that's right. Maybe there's something else. Okay, request for lessons. Let's say comment away. Oh, and you got Severin there right now. This is the, uh, this was the actual first one. This was the prototype. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I took this out with me on tour and uh, we didn't change. I didn't end up changing anything because this was this is, in all honesty, this is based on an existing model. So all we did with this is I rearranged the uh, <clears throat> the uh, the selectors to where I'm really comfortable getting to everything. Nice. And simplified it. We put a Floyd on it. We mount direct mounted the pickups. These are the um, the, uh, the signature bare knuckles, which are. Uh, Actually, they're only available in this guitar. I got a little bit, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, a little bit crazy, and I didn't want to, I, you know, I just felt that, the, you know, these pickups are right for this guitar. Let's not confuse people. And, you yeah. Know. Um, Stunning yeah, guitar. Yeah, I got a Floyd on it, and, um, you know, it's really just great, solid guitar, you know. It's, All the purple accents are beautiful. Most stays, stays well in tune, you know. Fantastic. Uh, John Carey saying eyes without a face. Eyes without a face. 
Well, that's an acoustic song, okay. but I can play. I can play the middle the middle bit for him. How's that? Okay, try that. <laughs> That's perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> now, here's here's one. I, of course, I mean, I'm sure you've been requested this one a million times over, and this is more soundtrack. And I used to I used to practice this all the time too. A little bit of Top Gun. Oh, well, this it, the weird thing is that, that um, in I do a bit of it with Billy Idol, and during the course of my solo, and with him, I do it in E. So I've gotten so used to. I think on the on the recorded version, it might be in C. Okay. Uh, knowing Harold Faltermeyer is probably in C because him him being keyboard based. Right. Um, but in E, I can. Play. Stellar, stellar. That's fantastic. Uh, J- Jonathan Stubbs is saying jazzy breakdown from Man for All Seasons. Oh wow, <laughs> that's a tough. That's a tough one. We can we can leave that for another day. Yeah, that's one I haven't probably played since 1988. No almost. problem, no problem. That's I, I don't want to ever put you on the spot. Uh, let me see here. What did we also? So without doing necessarily Rebel Yell, people talk about that a lot. But the one thing I want to ask you about that. Because that's yeah. another that's another thing I think is an awesome technique that you can maybe at least teach people how to get the uh, what's the word I'm looking for ambidexterity uh, ambidextrous so you can actually like Eddie and little guitars will do the tremolo picking on the high open string and then he'll right. hammer with the other hand and a lot of people just can't do that pat the head and rub the stomach kind of thing right. can you give any tips for people to be able to do that I think maybe a lot of it comes from your flamenco background but how can you get into that yeah, mindset it actually. <clears throat> It, it, more than flamenco, it came from folk players like Leo Kotke, who would do, uh, there was a blues thing where he would do it. You know, this kind of thing. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the, the chord shape for the intro is, is right? It's like an E, uh, B minor ninth. But, um, I always tell people concentrate. Start with the, the you know, f- forget. A, don't even try and do it with a guitar pick. I kind of like tuck it in this way. Okay. But you could do it without. But live, I have to switch to a guitar pick quickly. So usually, I tell people to just get the. So if the tempo in that, in the case of that song, is like 164 BPM. Get that smooth. It's just 
Yeah. Really like a, like a woodpecker on a tree, sure. you know? It's just, all it is is, is, uh, is sixteenths in time. And then the bottom part is... It's just a matter of, I don't know, to me, like, it's not so much ambidextrous, it's just like, because um, everything's in time with each other. Right. Uh, it, it, you know, it's it, it's just a matter of, like, getting, you know, start with it slow. And then just work your way up to it, so, you know. That's a perfect tip. And maybe just take those shapes and move them up and down the neck in different scales, different patterns. Yeah. I mean, I started to do, there's another one, there's, there's another one that I did that's a little bit, it's, it's the same idea, but it's. Same idea, but that's taking it a little bit further. But sure. Yeah, it's just really just. Sixteenths on the on the on the top two strings with both fingers, and then the thumb is doing the the independent part, the syncopated part. Um, I think what helps also is um, it would be hard for me to do that if I didn't anchor my pinky okay. on the guitar. That's another little. So if you got a solid anchor, like it, it would be really hard to do it without that. So the pinky, I kind of wrap it on the pickup a little bit, okay. or, but you can put it on the bridge. That kind of gives you the grip, the basis of. You know, I, I couldn't even think about doing it. Any without up. doing that. So that okay. may be a, a, a good tip for people. Very good tip. So a place to have your anchor there, and that's it's kind of a, a, a grip, in other words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You kind of you hold on to the guitar, and then you can get those 16ths going. Get that smooth. You mm -hmm. know, maybe tr try it with a metronome or something, and then just throw in the bass thing. And, um, that's perfect. That, so, yeah, that's kind of how, how I practiced it, you know. It's very, very cool. And I like the way uh, I watched some of the lessons that you've done, that particular lesson uh, as well, uh, Rebel Yell and White Wedding. There were two good examples where um, you show how you don't step on Billy's toes with the with the melody, and you're doing counter melodies that actually build that song even bigger. And I, I actually, I think a couple times where you can really appreciate it, I've heard some of the radio gigs you've done where you and Billy just be acoustic. And right. that acoustic guitar, you still translate so, so well. It sounds like a, like at least a, two or three guitars playing, and it's just one for the most part. And uh, being able that you can do that bass rhythm at the same time, kind of a feel, it really gives us big spectrum. Yeah, I think that, you know, the fact that I don't think there's any song that we ever wrote together that started on electric because, you know, he's always got an acoustic guitar with him. Um, and we have, you know, first and foremost, you got to find the, the key that's best for your singer. Right. Okay, so you got an, you, you get a, an idea for a song. Okay, hey, check this out. What do you think about these chords? Okay, so the, all right, then you find the right key for them. Um, and then usually it's, you know, it's just a matter of, um, with Billy, usually we get a core, you know, we have a chorus first. It's just that's the way our songwriting um, partnership works, mm -hmm. you know. Um, get a chorus together, then we kind of like deviate into the verse, and then obviously, you know, some sort of bridge 
you know, there's a, there's definitely a, a method. Uh, yeah, there is a method. We try and break it as much as possible, but you know, songs are songs and you know, you have to take people on a journey, but, but by and large, most of our material has started on acoustic guitar. So I think that's why it translates to, to, uh, to an acoustic environment. Yeah. And I think also too, I've, I've said this many, many times to different guests on the show and just, you know, friends and fans that if a song speaks very, very well written on an acoustic guitar, you know, there's mm-hmm. a world of possibility out there or it's sometimes written. I have a lot of, a lot of uh, compositions start on piano. Eddie Van Halen will do that as well too. He'll come up with a pattern and a riff mm-hmm. and chorus and stuff like that mm-hmm. on piano and sounds beautiful. And then you hear it on guitar and you th- like some, you think, well, that was always written on guitar. No, it started over here. You know, it's right. just amazing. But good yeah. songwriting will come yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, over the years, Billy and I have done a number of, uh, of, of shows where it's just been the two of us. Uh, and I'll sometimes be the only guitar up there. And it's, it's a little bit scary at first because you're naked. But it's yep. really satisfying when it works out that way because <clears throat> dynamically – you know, if you want to take something in another direction or you want to go really quiet or really raucous, you don't have to telegraph it to a bunch of guys. It's like an immediate kind of dynamic thing. I'll just lower down and he'll go with it. And um, there's a whole other thing at play when it's when we do those kind of shows like that. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, the dynamics you could actually bring back. I mean, bring it, bring it down to a, just a whisper. Right. Yeah. You know, and then go back up with it. Thing Zeppelin was so good at, you know, those guys, you know, they just listened so intently to each other. Um, Obviously, great songs, great players, great, great singer. But they always had this dynamic thing going on that sometimes it, it was really pronounced in live live more so than on the records. But um, you know, it's uh, it's emotional when, when you do that because people are, uh, you know, you, you can't help but be uh, affected by it as of course. an audience. Yeah, definitely emotionally tied to it. How about before you put your guitar away? And this is uh, putting you on the spot, but your yeah, best, yeah. your best um, feel, or we'll say, uh, for let's do something that Van Halen inspired. Doesn't have to be a Van Halen wow. passage. Wow. <laughs> it can be. Well, it can be it's some, little. You know, there was a there was a tune on the Vince Neil record called "Can't Have Your Cake and Eat It Too." Okay. And uh, and it started. It's. It wasn't intended to sound like Jeff Beck, but it ended up sounding like Jeff Beck. But originally it was. It was, it was, I was thinking Van Halen. Yeah, yeah. It sounded like, to me, it it ended up sounding a bit like, like Beck for something. But then uh, uh, when the song kicks in. If I remember the song, (laughs) 
That's fantastic. Definitely probably the most Van Halen influenced thing I did. Well, when you had but, the gain back, it sounded almost like um, uh, light up the sky a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was definitely influenced by that. But people said, wow, reminds me of Jeff Beck. And I went, well, that's not quite what I was thinking of. But that's cool. But yeah, there was a lot. That record was really the height of the kind of, you know, uh, it was 1990 and like a lot of heavy guitars and solos were really long and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I definitely, there's a couple of things, you know, a couple of tunes on there. I gave a nod to Aerosmith and a, a nod to, uh, you know, there's some layered things where I did a lot of um, uh, uh, multi over overdubbing with, uh, I had a Vox AC30 and did some Brian May. Oh, nice. Thing. You know, I always love kind of like throwing flavors in of my favorite guitar players. And, and obviously, you know, Ed, Ed's, you know, one of the, the greatest and you know when it came time to for a fast up tempo thing you know i said ah, it'd be great to throw in something like that you know fantastic well you do it so well man i mean it's uh, you, you can tell that dna is in you with all these people that you listen to growing up people that you've played with the shared stages with and everywhere yeah. in between it just it gets in you and you can't get it up but that's really cool i love that syncop syncopated stuff like you know look at van halen like i said mentioned light up the sky panama all these little you oh. just when's he when's he coming in with this you know it's just so damn tricky but you i think it was you know it was it was <clears throat> it was interesting because i worked I, now uh before I ever heard uh, of Van Halen or anything, I was in a cover band in New York. Mm -hmm. um, and we did a lot of, you know, we did some Jeff Beck, a lot of Yes, a lot of Zeppelin. Um, <clears throat> and um, Jeff Beck was a big, big hero, as well as the early 70s guys. And Alan Holsworth shows up with Tony Williams' Lifetime. and um, But it was interesting in, the, in that myself and the, the drummer in the band was very into, he built RPA, he was very into electronics and and um, and how to get this kind of overdriven sound out of out of our gear. We always had really, I had a combination of high watts and Marshall and stuff and, um, and he was one of the first guys to like, you know, we brought our amp to somebody because at that time it was there was no master volumes in our in our marshals to get a master volume put in it so i was kind of on this path of using old plexis and the sound the playing through an uh, uh, you know a late 60s plexi uh through celestian greenbacks it it kind of pushed you in a, in a way of playing this percussive style okay that the when I heard the first Van Halen record, although it absolutely took my head off and blew my mind, when I heard it, I said, "That's got to be an old plexi, <laughs> you know. There's nothing else that's gonna. How did he get it to sound that good? I mean, obviously, <clears throat> they captured it. Ted Templeman and and Don Landy captured his sound the way I don't believe anyone else could have captured it better. I believe that that they produced it, you know, having that one guitar. I mean, if you compare it to the to the Gene Simmons demos, yeah. I mean, having Ed untethered and having to remember doubled guitar, you know, just put that guitar a little bit over on the left side with a beautiful reverb and let Ed be Ed. That was the smartest thing that they did, and it really. But yeah, the first time I heard it, I went. I mean, I didn't know how he was doing the dive bobs and staying in tune. Yeah, of course. That was a whole new. Nobody expected that, and the and the tapping. I mean, I was familiar with Steve Hackett touching mm -hmm. on that, but to make it 
I mean, I didn't know if it was a guitar or a synth when I heard Eruption. Honestly, I went, what the, like everyone did. Everyone said know? the same thing. Well, I mean, I, now, now I think people, young players hear it. They know. It's kind of an accepted thing, but for us, in uh, what year was that record? 77? Was it? 77, late 77 or 78. When you heard Eruption in that year, mm-hmm. it was as groundbreaking as all you experienced. You know, it's just like, how did he do that? That's a guitar. You got to be kidding, you know. I, so, you know, it was uh, it was mind blowing. Certainly was. I've said this to a lot of guests that come on the show. Um, I used to talk more about it, more so, but it depends on the person's knowledge of Van Halen and things like that as well, too. But even if people aren't knowledgeable of Van Halen, I always just like to feel it out and ask them, like, you know, their opinions on the emergence of Van Halen and Eddie Van Halen onto the scene of guitar. And I mean, take away Eddie's talent and all the kind of cool things he can do as a player and a songwriter. But look what he's done to manufacturing. I mean, you have gear right now behind you that's influenced in a way, somewhere, you know, gain stages, you know, things like that. The guitars you're playing right now have a lot of that DNA with locking tremolos, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. The manufacturing world has changed and a lot of people are working because of that man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's much like, you know, there, there is only one Eddie Van Halen and much like everything else, once something comes along and is groundbreaking and makes money, Mm -hmm. uh, then you have all these other, Oh, I want to do that too afterwards. And and unfortunately, fortunately for me being in New York, we, we didn't have the LA gunslinger guitar thing happening where all these other guys came wannabe Ed's, you know, which I, I never really, I never really got in New York. We were, we, we appreciated Van Halen for what it was just like we appreciated, you know, the Ramones or the, you know, they were original and did their own thing. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's still when you, you know, they just like those records are just, you can't pigeonhole them. There's a little bit of punk energy. There's a bit of metal. There's a bit of pop. There's, you know, hooks galore i mean without those backing vocals and those kind of you know i mean van halen made records that not only guys like but girls like you know as well it, it was you know it, it was something in that band for everyone no matter what you know i agree and i've said this a lot of times too is there's people that either love david lee roth or they hate him you know there's there's you know there's everywhere in between and um, but what I think a lot of that swing sound, I've said this before, I think that swing and that, that intense rhythm and I, I don't know, just, just blues, too, is the fact yeah. that there's three sources, I think, that I, I attribute it to. One, Eddie and Alex would play together for hours on end without a bass player from the time they get up, have breakfast, whatever, till yeah, just just Eddie and Alex. So you don't have a bass player, so you got to fill in uh, the pocket. Number two. Their dad is as talented as talented could be, you know, and and the influence of their mother too that counts as well. But then David Lee Roth, you bring David Lee Roth in there, you know, a guy that technically couldn't sing the best, so he had to make up with his shortcomings. He brought in flair, he brought in even wardrobe that was not necessarily accepted, you know. But then he brought the you know R and B soul. And I think yeah. that has really shaped the band. I mean, if, if it would have been Sammy Hagar first, and I like Sammy too, uh, I like yeah. Dave better, but okay, so that whole thing, and then like you mentioned too with the engineering of the record, it could be yeah. a totally different world had those key elements, elements. not been in place. Yeah. 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 I remember as, as when I first joined Billy Idol <clears throat> and, and 
I mean, he came through the whole 1977 English punk thing of Sex Pistols and, you know, Generation X. When I first joined him, uh, Van Halen's Pretty Woman was was a hit. And he said to me, hey, that guitar player's pretty good, isn't he? <laughs> you know, <laughs> even, even, you know, he went, how's you get that sound? I went, it's a long story. But, you know, even for someone like Billy, who was a punk rock guy, it, there was something about Ed's playing that connected on a, uh, a sonic and a simple, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of Ed stuff is pretty, you know, other than solo. I mean, a lot of the rhythm stuff is just in the groove and simple and swaggery. And, but you write about Dave, you know, and he brought fun, an element of fun to the, to the, to, to the proceedings. And what's more contagious than fun? Yeah, I mean, it could have, you know, there's bands like that who get so serious and tech, technically minded and all that. And it, at the end of the day, it's not fun anymore. I know. I you know? I never want to, like, you know, cast judgment on bands, you know, like the like the Shredder bands. And I, I, I like to say, like, I don't like to do math on guitar, if that makes any sense. I, yeah. I suck at math. And I don't want to have to calculate a, in, in, a, in a, like an algebra equation to, to figure mm-hmm. out something on guitar. You just like, you know, play and go, right? That's where I like a lot of these guys that can just get up and do an all-star jam and completely out of their element. And you're like, oh my God, what is this? This is awesome. Because they're yeah. thrown to the wolves kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I like the players who are secure in what they do. I've played with, I've shared the stage with Billy Gibbons probably a dozen times. And mm-hmm. um, I've seen him get up with, you know, other guitar players and, you know, I've seen him play a show after Zach has, you know, shredded the stage <laughs> and Gibbons gets up there and he's Billy Gibbons and he'll still play three freaking notes and kill people. Yeah. And you probably got Zach off to the right watching uh, with his yeah. mouth hanging out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, and that's security. He's not influenced by, he knows and is secure in what, what he does. And, uh, it's, um, but that's that takes years of of developing your own style and mm-hmm. your own tonality and your own, you know, that's the hardest thing I think as a guitar player is to really have that individual thing that you know three notes people go yeah that's so and so that's right that's a really hard thing to achieve. Well, something that we talk about here a lot of times is like these guitar players that you've mentioned and, and I've been talking about, including yourself, you know, high gain players. But you posted something on Facebook, um, it was either today or yesterday, but you're asking opinions from people about, um, you know, clean yep. players. Can you name some clean players and uh, omit the jazz players? Because obviously that's pretty darn clean. Right. And, and I think that's where a lot of a lot of us, you know, we like to have our high gain and our delays and all that kind of stuff to get in our comfort zone. Um, but a lot of times we're masking some of our shortcomings. Um, was that something that you would recommend? Number, I'd like also like to find out who you found out and some of the best players in that poll that you kind of created. But is that something you'd recommend to some kids and, and you know guitarists out there struggling a little bit, practice a little bit cleaner, so you're hearing your flaws, hearing your successes? Yeah, I mean, it's especially obvious. <clears throat> the thing that always happens for me is when you go in to record. Um, I always try and you'll get a sound together, and um, and then you'll try and clean it up and get a good take. And then you'll try and clean it up even more. Try and because it's distortion takes up a lot of sonic space, and what's really taking up that space is not note content or or tone or uh, or frequencies. It's 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 white noise or you know. So uh, every time, invariably, every time I work with a producer, we're always trying to clean up the sound and get it rocking as clean as we possibly can and sometimes live you want it a little bit dirtier and there's nothing like having a guitar that doesn't sustain 
<clears throat> you know, it's it's frustrating, and you know, uh, but for recording, it's a, so I've I've I'm, you know I'm I'm definitely a guy that uh, you know if you if you listen to uh, things like Rebel Yell, guitars are pretty clean on that, cleaner than than you would think, uh, because when I've recorded stuff like that, it's always been a Plexi Marshall, and uh, and I never put a pedal or anything in, other than a solo. I mean, solos are a different thing. Sure. But rhythms are usually pretty pretty damn clean. Do you ever do much reamping? Like, kind of give it a nice clean signal and then do some stuff after the fact? Or are you pretty much get your tone? No. Yeah, I've never done that. Yeah. Okay. I was curious to see. Um, let's, let's, a lot of people are asking this question and I know you guys are kind of, uh, you know, delicately dancing around this until all the press comes out with, uh, with Deadland, but kind of, you know, you talk about these groups that we all grew up listening to, uh, you know, the Zeppelins, like you're talking about, you know, Black Sabbath is a pretty, pretty awesome band, you know, influenced many of us, Van Halen, for example, as well, too. Yeah. Yeah. Playing in a band with Geezer Butler is pretty darn cool. And I'm sure he's saying the same thing about you, but how did that all come about? Can you take us a little bit, you can tell, tell us as much or as little as you want, you know, cause I know there's, you know, going to be some press tours soon, but how did that come well, about and what are your feelings on it? Um, <clears throat> well, uh, Frankie Perez, the singer and I have been friends for probably over 10 years and I've, uh, um, I've always been a big fan of Frankie's and I've seen him, uh, come and guest with all-star bands. Matt, Matt Sorum has Kings of Chaos and, and Frankie will get up and I've seen him, you know, get up before Steven Tyler or Billy Idol or Robin Zander or uh, Sebastian Bach. And, you know, after the show, you know, people are talking about Frankie. Who the hell was that guy? You know? <laughs> and I, I love, a, you know, um, Corey Taylor, who's a hell of a singer. Yes, he is. Uh, calls Frankie Pipes, goes, Pipes, you know. Wow. I mean, Frankie is really well revered, and he's just, you know, although he's been in, a, a, he worked with Apocalyptica. Apocalyptica? Apocalyptica. Yeah, right. it's a hard one to say, yeah. Right. Um, but he just never found the, the right situation. Um, so so when it came time to, for me to do my solo tour in Europe, I asked Frankie, I said, look, I'm going to be doing a little Billy Idol, some Michael Jackson, you know, some Atomic Playboys. He can sing all of that. Would you be willing to go to Europe? So we went to Europe and it was an absolute blast. And we get along great. Um, he's just an awesome guy, not only an awesome musician. So I said, you know, this is somebody I really, you know, given the opportunity with, you know, want to work with. We had cut a demo here at my place and I started to shop a solo deal and was very close to signing a, a solo deal to do another solo record. Mm -hmm. But as I've always said, I want it to be a, a band oriented thing. Right. I've done the, the, you know, memory crash and I've done the flamenco thing. I want to, I want a vocal I want my Led Zeppelin, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know? I want I want to be in that kind of band, you know. And we were getting ready to sign, and Frankie calls me. He goes, "Hey, you know, um, you should talk to Matt Sorum because he would like to do something with us." And he's spoken to Geezer Butler. I went, "What? what? <laughs> you kidding me?" And he said, "Yeah, and, you know, uh, Geezer's interested in doing something, and this could be a great band." And I. I literally put my solo deal on hold and spoke to Matt and I said, wow, you know, that really could be amazing. And, um, he said, yeah, why don't, why don't you, you know, try and come up with some things with all of these players in mind. So I just wrote the names on a piece of paper and I said, if I was a fan, what would I expect, uh, 
from from a band with these guys in it. So um, I started to put together some ideas, mm-hmm. um, sent them over to Matt, sent them over to Geezer, Frankie, and it just became like an organic thing. We got a couple of ideas together, and then we just went in a rehearsal room to see if this would actually work. And it was from the from the moment we played all of the aspects of our playing fit together really well um because geezer just creates this bed and it's it's really you know at first we were thinking about another guitar player in the band because mm-hmm. i've always been in you know played with other guitar players and you know it kind of fills it up. once it once I played with Geezer, I said, there's no room for another guitar no. player. His tone and his sound is, you know, whatever he does is is so, you know, it's bass plus, but it really sounds like there's another guitar player in there with his use of distortion. And But he's very economical and it really allowed me to, I just loved the sound that we were getting in that room. And Matt Sorum is the only drummer, I'll say this, is the only drummer I play with, and it could be in a tiny little rehearsal room, and it, his drums sound like a record right there in the room. Wow. The way he tunes them and hits them. And, um, and I've always said that to Matt. I said, I don't know what it is about you, but you sound like a record right in the room. And um, <clears throat> and um, my, Dave Friedman actually has a... Uh, his tone merchants is right across the street from where we were rehearsing. And after the first day he came over to me, he goes, I don't know what you're doing in there, but it's incredible. And then he says, I can hear it from across the street. And, uh, I said, Oh yeah, I got this, you know, little Project. band we're working with, you know? And, um, so it was like very organic. We, we, we went in, you know, to a little rehearsal room, uh, and then looked for a proper producer and geezer had worked with Greg Fiedelman, on the last Black Sabbath record, and I okay. thought, you know, uh, great, Perfect. you know, he's already got a working relationship, and I love Greg's records, and you know, he's done the Slipknot things, and um, so it was kind of cool for me to get thrown in with, with a more aggressive. I'm not gonna. I mean, it's classic rock, you know. It's it's you know, but it's. Um, uh, I didn't have to overthink things, you know. I mean, I couldn't even tell you what microphones we used to record. Sure. I left that up to the to the pros, you know. Yeah. Whereas usually when I'm working on something, I'm bringing in my own mics and all of this, and I just wanted to be be you, a, just yourself. Yeah, I just wanted to play guitar in a band, you know, for a change and not have to think about what this guy's doing. And you know, I mean, these guys, how are you going to tell Geezer Butler what to play? <laughs> yeah, really, you I know, know. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I'd ra- I'd rather him tell me what to play. Sure. Well, I'm glad so, I'm glad you didn't go with the two guitar players because even though it, what does work for you is you've done it a million times, I like that. That that's like the Van Halen thing. That's why I like those bootlegs as opposed to these polished albums. You know, you can take off, and even though there you might be missing a rhythm here while you're going off on a lead, you're not going to be yeah. missing it with geezers. That is awesome. Yeah, so it's been like really organic, and you know, um, the first song that we've re- released, it was definitely my decision not to have a guitar solo on it. Nice. There are other tunes will have solos on it, but I really wanted to make a statement that this is a band. And when we got into record, everybody was really concerned about how each other was being given the space that we needed. You know, uh, one of the early mixes came back and, you know, me and Frankie and Matt said, no, more bass. We need more of Geezer. And, you know, nobody was saying, oh, my drums don't sound right or my guitar is not loud. And, you know, we were just concerned about the other guy which was refreshing, you know? So, mm. um, 
So it's been, it, you know, hey, man, it's, it's, you know, I'm going to be 60 next year and to be involved in a new mu- musical project and charting some new musical a- areas, I, I couldn't be happier. I mean, that's just an incredible feeling for me. It's got to be. And I mean, I know a lot of guitar players will hate to hear this, but every song doesn't have to have a guitar solo. If it doesn't call for one and, and require one, you know, you don't have to put one on the, on the record. Or on the song, I should say. You want a couple on there for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there'll be guitar solos, yeah. but, but the, you know, when we, in the first song, uh, Down in Flames, you know, that's that middle section, and Frankie and I said, wouldn't it be great to do something like what Pant, Plant and Page did, where they kind of like, you know, a whole lot of love middle freak out section where the guitar is kind of mimicking the vocal and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, originally, you know, we suggest, oh, maybe a guitar solo. I said, nah, I don't want to put a guitar solo in it. I want to do this this voice guitar, slide guitar thing on it, you know. So, um, you know, I just, I guess I'm just thinking more as a band member well, that- in this, terms of this. That's very cool. A band I like that is a, kind of a super group of talent um, Sons of Apollo, you know, you know all those guys, and each sure. one of those members, like you know the Billy Sheehan's, the Derek and Mike Portnoy, all those guys, um, Bumblefoot, they can all shred to death. But you know, right. you listen to Billy just you know grinding on a distorted bass tone, you know a pedal tone sometimes, and knowing when not to play, it takes a lot more discipline than just a shred fest. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think it was, you know, I mean, it's been said by a lot of people, but Miles Davis. We always said that the you know the silence in between the notes are more important than the than than the notes. Yeah, uh, yes, kind of. You know, you got to think of those things when not to play. Or that's right, because when you're not, someone else is doing something that's really speaking. I mean, there's no, there's no, no, probably no band that's as well designed for huge crowds than ACDC. Yes. And if you think about the spaces that those rhythm guitars leave in the verses for those vocals, there's always like a little, I don't you know, there's yeah. always a space rather than filling it up. And that's, that's deliberate. They're leaving space for that vocal to come forward. And then in the choruses, full on guitar stuff. And, uh, cause people say, well, how did they get away with, you know, playing so clean and, you know, well, those songs are so well designed for that. Breathing room. Yeah. 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 You dive in the water. You can only hold your breath for so long. You would t- to kind of put that in a song structure as well, too. Have some breathing room. Let the audience if, catch their breath. Yeah. And if everyone's, you know, you can only fit so much sonic material in, into two speakers, you know. And mm-hmm. if everyone's playing it on 11 the whole time, it's you know, your sound is going to get smaller. It's, a, it's, it's the same thing as, you know, if you start layering your guitars and you start putting, you know, four tracks of guitars, five tracks, six tracks, it might sound great on its own and thick, but then when it comes time to mix, your guitar is going to get pulled back because you can't fit it all in there. So it's, you know, it's, uh, try and make your parts so that they'll work with one or two, you know, try and make your songs work. That's right. Well, here's an example where I got schooled the other day. I went and saw the Generation Axe show up in uh, Kitchener, Ontario with my buddies, a couple of buddies here in the chat as well, too. And, you know, a shred fest of guitarists there. But some and like I've, I've always admired every one of those guitar players and especially Steve Vai back in the day. I went off of Eddie Van Halen for one. I become a Steve Vai obsessed nut. Um, okay. And Extreme, I, I liked him like the next guy, but I was I never went down that rabbit hole of Extreme. Loved him, but just never f- fussed over them. Yeah. Nuno, in my opinion, stole that show. I was, uh-huh. I, I, he kicked, he kicked our, all of our asses in that crowd. Just what he did. Um, 
it was unexpected how he stole that show. What an amazing player. And one of those guys yeah. that knows when not to play funk, you know, rhythm. It's, inc yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It was, it was quite cool. And that's the thing because you, you can fill your head with a million notes and then it's, there's nothing memorable. You know what I mean? You need that space. And what I thought was so cool that he did, and it shows how much he connects with his fans as well, too. Some fan, extreme fan on YouTube, put together this medley of some of the best passages of his and extreme songs. And he even credited the kitty and he played that verbatim. Like this YouTube. Yeah, it was very cool. So I love that. That's yeah, great. It's nice when yeah. they give back for sure. Um, is there anything you can talk about touring wise with Deadland yet? Or is that something that you'd rather wait until the, the press junkets come out? Um,. I think so far it's only been announced that in um, June we'll be in Europe for Hellfest, which is a big uh, festival in France. Fantastic. So I would imagine, I can't say too much, but no. we're not going to travel across the ocean to play one show. You know? <laughs> so, it's just not feasible. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're all planning on um, on doing some stuff. Uh, first up for me is uh, uh, a new Billy Idol residency in, in January in Vegas at the Palms. And in October uh, again too, right? What's that? Uh, isn't October you're back oh, again? That's right, yeah. And Billy and I are also planning on doing something, uh, uh, something different together uh, later, a little bit later in the year. Once again, I can't talk yeah, too much course. about it, but we're starting to think about uh, new stuff on the horizon with him and uh, nice. you know it's uh, I, 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 I'm you know I'm, I'm very blessed that that that, that I, I can work with a guy that I've worked with for next year will be 36 years and still have a great relationship with and he's given me his support uh, to do this band project and um, and um, hopefully everything you know will coexist but uh, you know it's uh, it's 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 great for me because it keeps me on my toes. You yes. Know? And, uh, and I try and always do that, whether it's, you know, after I did Vince Neil and toured with Van Halen, I broke it down to doing flamenco, uh, to just cleanse the palate and start, uh, doing something to challenge myself. Sure. You know? Um, and I think by doing, uh, something like Deadland ritual and working with other musicians and stuff, it enriches, my musical vocabulary, you mm -hmm. know, and, uh, and it's, it's, I'm not burnt out on it and it's, it's fresh. And, uh, and these guys are, you know, they're the best of the best and, and great people. I mean, um, you know, just really, uh, just, you know, it's great to hang with them and, and make music, you know? Yeah. Icing on the cake. Yeah, exactly. Any, any, you're probably not gonna have any time, but uh, any solo stuff other like outside of Billy, like you can do any soldiers, probably no time next year. Right. Not this year. Yeah. Uh, this year is, is really dedicated to Billy Idol and, and this band, you know. Gotcha. Um, I, I don't imagine there's any. I had to really put uh, put that on the on the back burner. I was planning on it, yep. you know. But uh, but given, given the way that I wanted to do my solo record, it ended up being what this band is. Perfect. Because I, I really wanted to be really wanted to form a band but you know i need the energy of the other members in the band you know mm -hmm. i need that energy that matt Sorum brings and he's also uh you know he's very good at at uh at business aspects of the you know there's everybody brings in other things it's not just uh you know frankie uh did the initial artwork and photography for it so um uh, you know it's it's really you know what it's it's kind of cool it's you know it's self 
financed and, and yeah. we did it all ourselves and and um it's kind of cool to um have that flexibility and and say hey you know i've got an idea for uh, a logo or this or that or or matt have a uh, a, a, an idea for a, a, you know he, he with kings of chaos he's He's, he's done an incredible job of bringing that to a large audience, and we play big shows with that. So he's got the experience. He knows all the promoters and 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 all that aspect of the business, which I don't involve myself in. I I have no interest in that stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a guitar player. Let the but pros it's do it. To have someone in the band handle that. You know, so there's all different strengths at play. Everyone it sounds like everybody in your band wears a different hat, many hats. Yes, exactly. Yep, and that that will be the success of the band for sure because these bands, especially when you're self, you know, self-financed and self-promoted at the moment, um, these other bands have to depend on all these other people, and then got these vultures coming in. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, picking it. Okay, you need to do it this way. No, we're doing it the way we're doing it. I'll tell you a really interesting thing. There's a new uh, Led Zeppelin photo book, mm-hmm. and I'm a, I'm a, I'm crazy for anything about you know Led Zeppelin, like that first initial. Uh, era of Led Zeppelin and this so I got this photo book and there's a really interesting photo in there of um, and I've read enough about about how that band came together and what you know the obviously the predecessor was uh, Jimmy and the Yardbirds and his uh, relationship with uh, Peter Grant but there's a photograph in that book of them signing the uh, Atlantic Records record deal and it's only Jimmy Page and it's kind of like people think that, you know, Led Zeppelin really was in the early stages, Jimmy Page's band. Um, and he was the mastermind for the blueprint and the production. And he really had to fight these labels who said, oh, we're going to bring in a producer and, and this and that. And, and Jimmy said, no, no, I'm going to produce it. I know the way it should sound. He went and found those players. He went and found Bonham and, and, and Plant and, and he knew John Paul Jones and, and, um, and it's really interesting to, to, to see the under what really went into creating that band. It was it was very carefully thought out, the imagery and everything about it. And um, and it's kind of like I, f- I feel a little bit like that with this band. We really. OK, you know, Frankie is the one I knew, Matt. Oh, man, if I could get Matt, to, <laughs> you know, to be in a band. But I didn't know if Elva Revolver was still going or right. what was happening or Oh, well, you know, and then when Geezer's name, I mean, a guy who, you know, has, uh, you know, been on those records that I wore the grooves out on yeah. and, 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 and still, but when I sit down and write with him, it's not like, it's, it's still fresh and it's still like just two guys sitting there. Yep, you know, two I mean, dudes. Well, we, we just play, well, you got a riff? Yep. I don't know. Well, how got? about this one? Okay, cool. You know, it's just, it's like anything, you know, it's like. It's like any two guys just getting together, you know, having, you know, coffee and going, oh, let's write a song. <laughs> it's no different, you know, it never changes. That is absolutely fantastic. Uh, last question here in the chat, uh, Phoenix, uh, she's over, um, she's a regular here on the show. She is a fantastic shredder, Kramer guitarist artist um, over from Brazil. And she says, I read Steve will be working on the soundtrack for the Top Gun sequel, the Top Gun anthem as a guitar treasure. Is that something you can share with us or do you even, uh, is that is that true? Um. Yeah, they are filming Top Gun 2, mm-hmm. and Harold Faltermeyer, who who I was fortunate to work with on the first uh, film, and we won a Grammy together, is is doing the score. Uh, and I saw Harold while I was on tour with Billy Idol in uh, in uh, Munich, where he lives, 
and uh, and he's going to be working on the score here in Los Angeles. And, uh, and I just said, well, I, I'm available. And he said, of course, we have to have something, you know. So, um, you know, uh, nothing's in, in stone yet. But, I, you know, I'd love to work with him and do something. And <clears throat> I think it's a really good sign that they brought Harold back mm-hmm. to do the score. That's a really smart move. Um, which means they want that flavor and they, you know, I mean, he, that score that he put together on the, I mean, what would that movie be without his orchestration and, uh, and, you know, not just, you know, the, the instrumental part of it, but Harold was really involved in, in, uh, in, Mood. in every song on that as well. You know, it was him that got cheap trick in on it and, uh, and, uh, take my breath away and all that, you know, every, every note involved in that soundtrack uh, Harold was involved in. I can't wait to hear what it's gonna what it's gonna turn into. I really can't. I mean, there's been so many years have elapsed, and obviously, it's not just gonna be a part two per se. I mean, when I'm saying that with the musical score, I really want to hear how the emotions gonna you know come through. I know it's gonna yeah. be great, and it'll be nice if you are um, back on the fold. There's one other question. I didn't see who it came from, but I, I didn't even know about this at one time. You had one of your uh, famous uh, stolen uh, ray gun stolen. Did you have one stolen? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, one, this last year, we were on tour in uh, in Europe, and uh, and I guess some some nut job uh, crazy fan or yeah uh, masqueraded as a crew member and got up on the stage and took the ray gun. <clears throat> so uh, so my tech Ram had to tell me that the next gig that the ray gun was gone. Oh no! And um, so. Uh, Lo and behold, we put out, this was at, uh, hey, babe, what show was it taken from? London. It was at a London show. London, okay. Well, we put out the word that that you don't you do not do that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and they found her, and they got the ray gun back, and they shipped it to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, th- I think she didn't realize what she had gotten herself into. Yeah. You know? Ray gun was retrieved. Look, you can get one on your website. You can get one right off your website. Yeah, I mean, those are not, you know, I wish I, the, the problem is that the, the, the ray gun thing is, um, you know, they're getting harder to harder to find because the speaker has to be on the, on the correct side. It has to have seven different sounds. And I, I go in and I, I have put a potentiometer. Uh, the ones that I saw on my, on my website, I'm unable to do that. And those, the ray guns now are, uh, they're all one little micro board on there and I can't get in there and tweak them. Right. Um, I'm looking for a company that'll, that'll, you know, uh, manufacture an actual Steve Stevens ray gun that we would take this idea further and have downloadable sounds and all this USB um, and stuff. That'd be great. But it's getting really hard to find these because the ones that I use are from the seventies. They're from uh, China and yeah. they allow you to open them up and, and, and muck around with them. So uh, I wish I could offer uh, the ray guns like I do on stage to people, but it's just not possible right now. A lot of things that are manufactured are almost disposable now for that, for that most part. It's, yeah. These, you know, these are, you know, the ones that I mess about with have like actual circuit boards with resistors and, mm-hmm capacitors on it, it's, it's, you know, it's very easy to, to alter them. <clears throat> the ones now are one little IC and, um, and they only, you know, they only produce one sound. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm I can't doctor them, but yeah. I would love if anybody sees this and wants to go into business with me, <laughs> putting, out, putting out a, an actual Reagan. <laughs> Contact Josie and get in touch. 
Yeah, yeah. Contact Josie. That's right. There's a uh, super chat from John Kerry. I appreciate that as well. Before we wrap up, I was going to ask you, because the way you get in there and you tinker stuff, did you break a lot of your mom's stuff in the house trying to figure out how things work? Oh, man, I destroyed my dad's reel to reel. Did you? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I took it apart and I used to put it back together. <laughs> yeah. And, um, my dad worked, worked long hours. He was, you know, it, it would take him an hour and a half to get to work each way. And, uh, so for a while he wasn't, he didn't have time to listen to his reel to reel, you know? So I had like a, maybe a three month grace period where that, you know, I took it apart. I don't know what I was thinking, but then he went to use it. And of course the thing doesn't even fire up. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, you know, to you know, to to the day he passed away, I never told him. But you know, I was just like a curious kid. You know, I used to I used to plug my I had an acoustic guitar. See, I started playing when I was seven and a half, and I didn't get an electric guitar till I was thirteen. So I used to take the microphone from the tape recorder and shove it into the sound hole of my guitar, and then play it and distort the tape machine to kind of give me like an amplified sound. Sure. You know. And, uh, but lo and behold, I ended up wrecking that thing. So. That's how we learn, though, right? Oh, man. <laughs> I would have busted my ass if I was in. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a good yeah. thing you don't have a little Steve running around actually taking apart your amps right now and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. One thing I want to say, too, um, uh, we have a lot more girls watching the show now, too. I started this other program called uh, Rocking Dead. So I'm talking about the Walking Dead TV show. So it's brought in a different dynamic. You know, it's usually the guys watching, you know, geeking out on guitars and stuff like that. But because some of these women are coming through now, too, and even my own better half here, this is a feather in Josie's cap, almost literally. I guess on your website as well, too, There's, I guess she's got some bows for the women and for the hair and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And well, she, she has her own clothing line and... Um, uh, and uh, she actually, uh, you know, is pretty, uh, you know, always helps me with, you know, guitar designs and things and uh, stage clothes and, you know, stuff like that. But what I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because, yeah, the, they said now 50% of all new guitar players are female. And the one guitar, there was an article about the one guitar company that's that's weathered the storm of the, the decrease in sales of guitars is bit Fender because Fender, if you go into the Fender site, it's very geared uh, towards uh, both male and female. Right. And, and they also are very smart in that they offer a, a uh, online lesson series with every instrument that you buy. Um, so as a new player, you know, it's kind of daunting to go, okay, I want to, I want to learn how to play guitar. Now what? Okay. And Fender has kind of enabled that for all these new players, you can log on, you make your own account and you part of this Fender player series and there's lessons and you can submit questions. Uh, and all of that advertising features, uh, female and male. And, uh, you know, I think that's the way it should be, you know, you know, I remember we, with Billy Idol, we always had a female keyboard player. Um, and I think Billy got the idea initially from Prince, you know, and, um, and we used to, you know, people would say, why do you have a female keyboard player? You know, oh, you guys, you know, sleeping with her, you know, and it was like, no, she's actually great. And, you know, we had female backing vocals in our bi biggest hit, Eyes Without a Face. Mm -hmm. um, There's always female backing on Moni Moni and, you know, Keith Forsey, our producer would get in, you know, these incredible singers from Donna Summers sessions and stuff. And, 
Um, and I just, you know, the, you know, it, the, the, it's really good that, the, that, that it's, you know, it's e hopefully it will be an equal playing field because, you know, now you have, you know, like Nita Strauss, who's, you know, kicking ass and, you know, it's like, hopefully it won't matter anymore. You know, that's right. You just say guitar player. And I, I've been guilty of it. I've been saying, uh, female guitar player, you know, we say that, why do we have to say that? Why don't we just eliminate that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And because a million women out there that can kick a lot of her asses, like you mentioned, Nita, I've had Courtney Cox on the show, Jennifer Batten still out there kicking ass. Jennifer was the first. I remember, yeah. yeah. I mean, when I guested with Michael Jackson and uh, and she was the uh, uh, the guitarist in the band. And then I'm, I here's a great one. I went went away to uh, Miles Copeland, the manager, had, has a castle in France and he would bring over musicians to write with other people. So one year I was there, it was me, Stuart Copeland, Jeff Beck, and Jennifer Batten. Saw that photo. And, yeah. And, um, and uh, I mean, Jennifer would have to explain, you know, we'd be working on something or somebody would get stuck. And she has a knowledge of music better than, you know, she has all the theory and all that stuff better than me and Jeff. Do. Wow. So explain, oh, well, if you try this, you know, try, try this inversion or and she pick up a guitar or try try this chord or whatever. Um, so she, she paved the way for a lot of that. I mean, obviously Joan Jett, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, who, who I, I guested with, you know, back in the, in the eighties, I would play, you know, Billy Idol and her did a lot of shows together. And, um, and she, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these women who, who were in the trenches back then, you know, who paved the way really deserve a lot of recognition. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's great now. It's, it, you know, it's, um, it, it's as, as it should be. You That's know? right. We're seeing, we're seeing signature guitars now from companies that would have, would have never years ago made um, uh, a signature for, for a woman guitar player. It's always the guys, you know, yeah. and the guys are buying the guitars or, you know, look at, look at, uh, look at Trevor, look at their, um, perfect example. Right. He's using, uh, what, what is it? What's the model of the guitar from Ernie Ball? Um, why have I ever lost her name? I've got oh her. yeah. It's, um, <laughs> I know who you mean though. Yeah, I oh, so I feel so embarrassed. I forget the name, but yeah, anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe someone in the chat will mention it, but yeah, they're they're inspirations for us, and it, it kind of breaks down all those barriers. One last question, and we're gonna let you fly because uh, we ran a little bit uh, late. Todd's asking, um, does Steve still have his? Do you still have your pink Hello Kitty guitar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, yeah. I'm gonna let you fly. Thank you so very that, much. Hey, that that guitar was no joke, man. That thing played and sounded. It had a when I tell people to pick it up. I said, what is that neck like? And they said, like an old Charvel. I mean, yeah. it's actually a really good guitar. That's that's awesome. That's totally awesome. Yeah, comfortable for sure, like an old glove. Yeah. <laughs> that's wicked. Um, yeah. if, so if you see an order come through your website for bows, if they're not for me, tell Josie they're for Sandra okay. here. So yeah, even awesome. though they would fit in my hair now, my hair's getting long enough, I could do it. But Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, thank you so very much. And Josie, if you can hear me in the background, thank you once again, too, for facilitating. Uh, you're fantastic. Okay. Okay. And uh, you have a wonderful weekend, and we'll look forward to watching everything uh, coming up with Deadland, uh, Billy Idol, obviously the residency in January there. And I hope yeah. you, you and Josie have a great uh, Christmas and holiday season yeah, coming up. Yeah, thank you yours, yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much, and I hope you guys get some time to just kind of catch your breath and enjoy life a little bit before it gets busy so again. Too. Yeah. I'll say great. goodbye to you off the air, Steve. Thanks again, everyone. And everyone, have a fantastic weekend. We will see you uh, Monday night over on Rocking Dead, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Have a great one, everyone. Until next time. Thanks, cheers. guys. Cheers. 
Hey, AVH Gear TV and Eddie Van Halen fans. If you are like me, you find the time to read books difficult. Why not have it read to you? Grab one of three critically acclaimed Van Halen audiobooks like Van Halen Rising by Greg Renoff, Running with the Devil by Noel Monk, or Everybody Wants Some by Ian Christie, available right now from Audible. Sign up for a free trial with zero obligation to get any one of these three audiobooks today. You can cancel if you wish after your trial membership expires and keep the book. There are many other great titles to choose from as well. Links in the description below, but just remember audibletrial.com slash TV. Click the link below and go grab your first free audiobook. Thank you for listening to this edition of EVH and Gear TV. This episode is being brought to you in part by VanHalenStore.com. Shop VanHalenStore.com for the largest selection of official Van Halen merchandise and memorabilia. Be sure to check out our website at evhgeardiscussion.com for more updates and follow us on social media.